0: please visit SoundsTrueFoundation.org. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is someone who is a true friend, both to me and to Sounds True, Carolyn Mace. Carolyn Mace has created more than 20 audio learning programs with Sounds True. She's a five times New York Times best-selling author and a leading voice in the fields of human consciousness, spirituality, mysticism, energy medicine, and the science of medical intuition. She has a new audio learning program that Sounds True. It's called The Power of Holy Language to Change Your Life. And that's the theme of this conversation. Carolyn and I talk about how our souls will literally starve without holy language, and how prayer is the ultimate form of holy language, and how to pray outside of religious institutions, but in the field of light and grace in which we live in our time. Here's my conversation with Carolyn Mace. It's a treat to talk to you, Carolyn, and it's a treat to talk to you about this particular subject the power of holy language to change our lives. Let's start out. What is holy language? How is it different than quote unquote ordinary language?
1: Well, it's always a pleasure. I love our conversations. I really do love our conversations, Tammy. Um, Every field. Every field has its own language, you know, mathematics and science. And, and the field of God, the field of the divine has its own language. And that's holy language. And it, it's been my experience that holy language packs a punch, and that's grace. It has a punch that other language doesn't have. It, it, so other language, holy language carries the capacity to deliver hope, to deliver the graces, to deliver faith, to deliver inspiration, to reignite the desire to live, to, to, Um, help a person understand the transformation they're going through, to identify processes, journeys they're experiencing, like the dark night of the soul. That ordinary language would, would have perhaps called you're going through a bad time, a trauma. It's not a trauma. It's a spiritual crisis. It's a dark night of the soul. And that's a profound mystical journey and it requires its own language to carry you through. And that language is holy and it's holy because it carries with it faith and a deep profound understanding of what is unfolding within you and that it is a journey and that journey is therefore governed by a legion of invisible allies of holy allies that know exactly what you're going through and why and and um when when you're going through an ordinary problem problem dilemma you don't have that same sensation can you take an ordinary dilemma and then elevate it into the realm of holy language can you say this this situation i'm in is garbage yeah that's where prayer comes in that's like i got to get out of this mud hole i need some serious help and you pray in your allies and you you decide I, I need I need some help here. This this I'm not gonna get out of this. I need I need the capacity of grace. And, mm-hmm. and that's what happens.
0: Now, one of the things that you start off this new teaching series, The Power of Holy Language to Change Your Life, talking about is how we've lost this language in our time, that it's something that used to accompany us be part of us as human beings but we don't have the same kind of ready access acceptance acknowledgment honoring of holy language now what has happened to us as human beings that we've lost our holy language
1: well let's go back first to a time when and when was that time and and you know i have i frequently say that um The great turning point for us, um, well, there were perhaps two. There was a mini turning point, and then there was the great turning point. And the mini turning point was when we started, we got into the age of reason, which took centuries, but we began to see the power of reason. And that things had a reason and they weren't superstitious and they weren't because we stepped on the wrong thing. And, you know, we needed to reason and find out why things are as they are. So the age of science opened up, you know, in the 1500s, 1600s, and we we needed that. Um, But then the great turning point was crossing the nuclear Rubicon. And, and you know, centuries are not long periods of time, Tammy. And, you know, there was a time when human beings approached the world through a more holy or spiritual lens where they saw God eye-level they saw the divine at eye level. It was in everything. It was in the forest. It was in the nature. It was in each other. They they wondered in ordinary language, what would be the result if I did this to my soul? So they had a sense of longevity, which within the context of their life, which was very short because of the lack of medicine, et cetera. It made sense, but it also, there was a, uh, the world was silent and the world was unscientific and that's important here. So that kind of doubt, there was a doubt superstitious thing, but still there was also the sense that uh, prayer and the presence of God was ever near them. So you had to kind of, you know, Be on your guard because, and there was also divine intervention. So it was an era where there was always these reported miracles, but also I have to add that it was an era of unexplained, which could explain the miracle thing. You know, they just didn't know why nature did what it did. But as people became more scientific, explanations were offered for ordinary things and so the idea of miracles faded into the background and we reformed the idea of this god this off-planet god and we created a more reasonable god there must be a reason for this and so and this is an important part here because we began to formulate a god that operated as a judge and a court and a jury. That we thought there there's got to be a reason. It's got to be logical. It's got to be legal. It's got to be more like Hammurabi's code. And though that was still a theme that if I don't do anything bad, then nothing bad should happen to me. That that's always that Solomon kind of thing was always a th- a thread. That really took hold when we got into the nuclear age and we got into the age of technology, when we really went high voltage with our intelligence, which, which sort of dismantled, began the dismantling of our conscience, of our conscience, where we were, there was a massive exodus from tradition, from traditional values, from traditional religions, from traditional hold on us, from fr- traditional boundaries on our sexuality, from from all kinds of what's the point of all those old rules? What's the point? And, and something that's worth noting, Tammy, and that's that throughout the history of the last thousands and uh, so let's say the last for the, from the Judeo-Christian era. The begin the the pillars of Western society, family traditions that come from Judeo-Christian, um, uh, the structure of churches, the structure of family traditions, the structure of that governments, whether there were monarchs or governments, the structure of leadership, regardless of how often it changed, regardless of how war swept in and reconstructed the boundaries of countries, people assumed that would happen, regardless of the cruelty. Let me just say this, I'm not talking about the cruelty. What people assumed would happen is that <clears throat> those structures would restructure and somehow a system of, well, we'll listen to what they say and whatever. Within our period of time, that level of trust of the fundamental pillars of society, which were the structure of marriage, the structure of family, the structure of churches, the order of society, the structure of community, we've taken all the pillars down we have, our society in these last years, the structure of of what is a relationship, courtship, the structure of, and that has allowed us to destructure the cosmos. Well, I'm not sure what's up there. I'm not sure if there's good or evil. I'm not sure if there's a God. So for the first time in the history of humanity, a large proportion of people have looked up to the heavens and said i'll decide what's up there regardless of the thousands that that regardless of the organic structure of the holy cosmos for b- b- mistaking their their angst with religion i don't care what they have to say about religion i don't promote religion with the organic structure that the Holy Cosmos is the Holy Cosmos and that it has nothing to do with religion. There's no such thing as the divine that has a religion. There's no such thing as the organic holy order of the universe that extends forever, that is contained within a earthbound religion. Human beings have religion. God does not. So the simultaneous dismantling of our conscience so that we can do whatever we want with our technology and the decision to dismantle how we see good and evil right and wrong while our intuitive system is and as we enter the age of energy and our intuitive system is exploding with a sensory that has system that's developed to find our way into this age of energy so that we we're becoming energetic mystics not conscious ones but energetic mystics so we're sensing energetic data so all of this is happening simultaneously which is why there's so much depression and energetic madness. Okay. So the use of holy language has been discounted as we leave this because the language of conscience and it's the language of our deeper intuitive system. It's the language that activates access to the deeper inner world, which is exactly what people are, so many people, many people do not want access to while it's what we need the most.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things you say in this series is that without holy language, our souls will literally starve. Precisely. And I think that's part of why this is such an important topic to me, Carolyn, because I feel that starvation. And you go on that prayer is the ultimate holy language. And one of the insights from this series is that there is a way that you introduce people to of how we can pray with God, not pray to God, but pray with instead. So talk some about that. What does it mean to pray with God and find this new form of holy language that's not necessarily as you said previously embedded in religions mm-hmm. free from i'm praying with god free from religion
1: well it's it's i think there is an emerging paradigm in understanding the the divine that is what i call divine organics really it's organic it's that the nature of god is law that is an expression of god law is an everything it's it's in absolutely everything L- law is the nature of god look at the way our bodies work they they work on law i mean it, 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 the law of our, the speed of our heart the speed of the blood pressure everything is mathematical law and and puberty's law i mean um, the, the the time zones i mean and i realized as a medical intuitive That what I was looking at, and it took me years, but what I was looking at were the laws of energy and how we were, how they were interacting with the, they were the laws of creation, the choices we were making and the consequence to what we were co-creating, that this was in fact cause and effect and it wasn't just personal, but within the whole. That that what we were doing to one, we were participating in the whole. And that this was simply the, the activity of the sacred. Manifested in micro and macro. And that the laws of nature as manifested in nature. We're the same in us. We we were just part of the whole species design of creation. This was one organic breath of God, and and as I got more into my mystical life, I I really now I really got that when the mystics would say this their agony and ecstasy relationship was one they really deeply understood the magnificence of the power within themselves that was themselves, this divine co-creation. They reach, they often reach this, like Teresa or Francis, uh, and so many more. They reach this holy partnership of surrender that said, "This is so powerful that I'm surrendering myself back unto you because I don't want to misuse the gift of this life. So you tell me. And and what made sense then? Were the teachings of Buddha and the teachings of Jesus, when he said, when Jesus said, be my hands in the world and I'll be there for you. I'll, I'll direct you so you do no harm. And you be of service. And Buddha said, This is this whole world is illusion. And if you get that, the kinds of choices you make will enhance this world. You know, it it will I not enhance is not his word, but it you will do no harm. You will do no harm, you'll be of service. And and I want to be clear what I mean by service. I don't mean servant. Like, I will pick up your clothes and I will pick up your shoes and let me bring you a cup of tea. Service means I will empower you. I will be able to pray power into your life. I, I the, There is such a difference between the love of power and the power of love. And that is the journey of life. Right there. And what we look at in the world is the love of power, and that people are struggling because they love power far more than the power of love. And that's where they're all, that's the great crack, that's the great suffering, and the great transition, and the which is, well, <laughs> the great transition is all about getting to the place where you get that the way of service is to use the power you have to empower another person. And that requires prayer. The, the size of the heart you have to have, the size of the soul, the, the power you need within you to get that is the journey.
0: Okay, now, Carolyn, I want to circle back to this. You're the only person I've ever heard say this, and it's incredibly powerful that God is law. And you teach a lot on these mystical laws. What I want to understand better is the connection between recognizing that organic divinity, God is law, and how to pray. How does that recognition of God is law impact how I approach prayer?
1: Because here is where it applies to recognizing that God is in every choice you make. And therefore, every choice I make is going to have a creative consequence. And that's where you have to walk with the divine within every thought you have and how powerful every choice is. So you say, I am I need to make a choice here. So you better be with me in this choice. What am I going to do here? What am I going to do here? Because left to my own devices, I'm going to make a stupid choice. <laughs> I'm going to make a big, stupid choice. So I need you here. I need I need you in my thoughts. I need you in my heart. I need some badass divine grace right now because I'm losing it. So get here because I know I am attached to the consequences and it will be in my bio-spiritual ecology. My body will pay for this. My mind will pay for this. I'm attached to this forever. And so is the person that's going to get a direct hit from this choice. So I don't want to make a stupid choice. Either I grace this moment or I do not. And I am held
0: accountable for that
1: because that is the way co-creation works.
0: Okay. So you've written this new book, Intimate Conversations with the Divine, Prayer, Guidance and Grace. And it contains a hundred of your personal prayers, praying just the way you were here in our conversation, Mm -hmm. talking and having these dialogues with God. My question to you is, how do you one, feel the presence of God in these conversations. How do you know? How do you know? Oh, I feel the presence of God. And then how do you hear or get the responses and go, oh, I get it. That's it. That's God talking to me, responding. We're in dialogue. We're in real dialogue here. You know, um,
1: I, I I had a shift in mindset a what i would call a mystical gift and i realized that there was no there was nothing that was not the field of grace that is god if all creation is the divine then i'm walking in the in God. I'm sitting in God. there's no place the divine is not. So there's no place that that the divine I am absent. so if I were to die right now, I would slip out of my form and be in the light. There is no place that light is not. I am always in that light. I simply can't see it because I'm not on that level to see that light, but it's all around me. So I'm always in the divine. So I live in that. I I dwell in that truth that I'm always walking around in divine light. So I don't have that sense that I need to feel it. I need to know it. I need to, oh, and that kind of thing. I don't do that. <laughs> I don't do that. I I I have shifted that I'm always walking around in divine light and so is everybody else that they don't know it is irrelevant to me that this this whole world is in divine light but it's like the 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 the, the process of mist falling into water and rain and then becoming ice it's all the same substance i can't see the mist but It's there, and we're ice. We're the frozen version of mist. And so we can't see mist, but it's there. And without it, there'd be no ice. So there you go. So I live in that. So I, and so when I say, you know, give me some help here, I just assume from that moment that everything is now helping me. Everything is now helping me. And There it is. And so I am now um, in that state of mind of help. And the way I would compare it is when you love somebody deeply and you have a falling out with them. And then you make the decision, I need to heal this. I need to heal this, I cannot not heal this. From the moment you make that decision, every one of your thoughts begin to assist you to heal that, every one of them. And even though a part of you still brings up the hurt, you'll find that the other part of you Battles those thoughts and says, Get out. This is not working. I have decided that I am going to heal this thought. And little by little, the stronger, loving thoughts take over and a path is found. That's how it works. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, you mentioned you had a mystical shift of some kind. What happened, Carolyn? You know, mystical shifts happen um,
1: I think in in various ways um, uh, they're not dramatic but sometimes they are um, <laughs> uh, some sometimes um, a perfume-sized thought slips in a big huge perfume sized thought just downloads and and when it does it reshapes several it takes several thoughts with it and it reshapes these perceptions into a very different window and i understand one significant truth and that truth like the The moment that I truly got that the nature of God is law, that that is an expression of the power of God, an expression. But before that hit full on, I'd done years of research so I could get it. The groundwork had been laid. I'd done thousands of readings, thousands of readings. So the groundwork had been laid. So when that moment, that insight exploded into me, that, oh my God, oh my God, that's you. You are everywhere and in everything and in the duplication of the laws of nature and in the duplication of the plants and how they all look, and in the duplication of the mathematics of, of how everything is measured. You are, are you are, you, you show off yourself in, in, in the duplication of the cleverness, the anomaly, you are your whole system, the perfection of everything. And its organization is you. And it just went. (laughs) And it was as if God was showing off. I actually saw the consciousness of it all that it wasn't passive nature, just mechanically, it was a living breathing holiness, which is why when someone goes into prayer and says, help me become conscious enough to cooperate with my healing, to actually influence it, to to, to let the grace come in and push out what is not grace-filled, help me out here, I need some help. I need some help. You need to highlight for me what I cannot see so I can so I can extricate the cavities in me because I can't see it and I'll and I will fight it all the way. So get it out of me. Work on me at night while I sleep. take me out of my body.
0: Mm-hmm. I love one of these definitions that you offer that prayer is a request for how to see. That was very, very helpful for me. Okay, now Carolyn, one of the things you said is that when we use holy language, what we're doing is packing a punch, and that punch is grace. You said that here in the beginning of our conversation, and you used the word grace several times, and I've heard you talk about grace as an actual mystical substance. And I think for a lot of people there's confusion. What does she mean by grace exactly? What is grace? When I use holy language, grace is coming online? What is that? What is it really? What's grace? You tell me why you think people don't get it. That's my mystery. I think people don't get it because they don't have a personal inner correlate where they can go, oh, that's what it feels like. I know that mystical substance. Why does it have to feel like something, Tammy? People need to know it in their own experience. If they don't know it in their own experience, they have a question. I'm asking that question to you for the person who doesn't know it.
1: Well, I know you are, but it baffles me that someone doesn't get it. Okay. So I always have to give like grounded experiences of something that's not grounded. Okay. Okay. Grace does not show off. So trying to catch it is like trying to catch a feather. But an experience of grace, one way to think of it is that you oftentimes can spot a grace experience by looking backwards and recognizing a moment in which you behaved out of character in which you did something or not, that was completely out of character. Like it would normally have been like me to lose my temper there, but I didn't. For some reason, I just had this feeling that I should keep my mouth shut. Acting out of character is oftentimes the product of grace acting out of character instead of in character, that, that and here's the caveat, that results in blessing people, that results in blessing people, that has a transformational effect in the moment that is always positive, that somehow graces a situation, okay you might act out of character and it could be absolutely disastrous like you don't say anything and you should have you should have and and here's grace you leave with a regret grace will not let you forget that you should have said something people don't think of grace like letting you feel leaving a mark on you, leaving a regret in you, how could that be grace-filled? Because it is. Because you heard God speak to you, and you didn't listen, and you know you heard it. And heaven will never let you forget that so that it doesn't happen again. And in my workshops, I have oftentimes said, I'm going to give you an assignment tonight, that I want you to do after dinner, go back to your room, and before, tomorrow class, before tomorrow's class begins, I want you to do a list of every good thing you have ever done in the whole of your life, beginning from the time you were a little person, every kind thing you've ever done, every kind note you've ever written, every card you've ever sent, every gift you've ever given. I want every single thing, every thank you, every hug, Everything and they just look at me. And I said, You can't remember, can you? I bet you can't remember all the good things you've done in the last two days, every good thought you've had. And I said, And isn't that a wondrous thing? I said, Now put down 10 regrets and you won't have any problem. I said, Why is that? I said, Because if you really think deeply and slow yourself down, you'll realize that before. A regret, you heard guidance. You heard guidance, do this, don't do this, whatever it is. And you consciously chose not to follow. You consciously argued with yourself. And that grace telling you to do the right thing, encouraging you to do the difficult thing, but the thing that would have mattered the most that would have mattered the most, that would have healed, that would have taken the most out of you, maybe caused you to deal with your pride or your fear, but would have done the most good. You chose not to do because it would have taken the most courage. But you heard it and you said no and heaven said, okay, fine, boom, and it never lets you forget. And you may say that filled me with guilt, and that, whatever, that's your choice. But heaven will never let you get away with that because you heard God and you said no. And that's grace as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so someone's listening right now and they're wanting to bring more grace into their life right now. That's what they want. Mm -hmm. They are willing, Carolyn, to pray with God and bring more grace into their life they need it now what would you suggest
1: well first of all i want to say even through that question that grace is not a magic spell and grace will not change something on the outside for you so i really need to 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 just grace is not magic and heaven will not do the work for you Let us be very clear that heaven never does what you can do yourself. And I really need to be clear about this, Tammy. Heaven does what you cannot do and steps in after you've exhausted your own resources. So let's be real clear here. Heaven doesn't compensate for stupid or or for fear. So when someone says, give me some grace because I don't want to do this, the answer is no. No, 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 no. You'll get the grace. What will happen is you will, heaven doesn't make life easy on you because you are frightened. Or because you don't want to do something. Heaven directs you to do what you need to do because you're frightened. Because you're frightened. It's not, a, it's not like, it doesn't make any life easy. So when you say, if someone wants grace, grace is abundant and it flows to you without prayer. Without prayer. But with, but with prayer, you're saying, you, you got to grow up and get a backbone and say, I need some faith here because this is, I don't believe in myself, much less you. I don't even keep my word to myself much less anybody else. So you start with your prayers by looking at yourself and recognizing what you need, what you need to get through your life. And you say, help me with that. Help me with that. I need to make some tough choices here. I need to make some tough. That's how you pray. You don't look at the outside world and say, clean up my crap for me. That's your job. You're not gonna. That's what you have to say is help me. I need to. I need to. I need to make some tough choices here. So that's not going to change. I'm in a situation where I have to make some. So talk to me. Which one do I have to make? And it's usually the toughest. So I need some courage here because I don't believe in myself. So help me, help me. My legs are shaking. My heart's beating, and I have to do this. So. God almighty, give me some courage.
0: Now, during this time of the pandemic in particular, Carolyn, and so much suffering, especially here, I mean, I'm in touch with it in the United States and the level of divisiveness, but just across the world at this time, I think people are interested in prayer in a different kind of way than perhaps they were at other times wanting to actually pray for other people. And I know in your book, Intimate Conversations with the Divine, at one point you talk about how it's possible that we could be something like grace first responders in the world, that we could be those kinds of channels of grace for other people in their suffering. So I'd like to hear more about that because I think that's something mm-hmm. that's on people's hearts.
1: Well, I mean, I, I. I i sp- speak about grace first responders because what is true is one of the laws of God what is that what is in one is in the whole a rising tide lifts all ships we it, we need to realize' we're at the we have to come to the end of the age of narcissism. we have to realize that we if anything, in this pandemic, nobody is going to heal alone. We are all in this together. And so we have to heal together. And so we have to start including others, not just in the um, responsibility of our actions in terms of wearing a mask and social distancing, but in our prayers and we we and we have to kind of mature beyond the need to see the consequences of our actions for personal praise and gratification we have to trust the power of grace we have to trust in that when i say a prayer i just release the grace into the atmosphere to to counteract the psychic free radicals that have built up with so much power from the rage and the frustration and the fear because we are living in this incredible time of transformation, this turning point in the history, I think the the greatest time in the history of humanity. I really
0: believe that. Okay. So if somebody's interest is in sincerely praying with God for the benefit of others, how did they do that in a way that's just uh, pure, not self-oriented? You said let go of needing to see any immediate responses, just pray and, and let the prayer out into the world. You
1: know, uh, um, if, you, if someone needs a visual... I'd say take the latitude and longitude of you know do you remember when we learned latitude and longitude?
0: I remember a little bit, yeah.
1: Don't you know what the globe looks like with the lines of latitude and longitude? Tell them to look at that mm-hmm. and plug into a crossroads where latitude and longitude cross. And just imagine that they are saying, Have mercy on the world, Lord, or God, have mercy on the world. Please pour grace into this. Just pour grace and light onto humanity. Pour grace and light into humanity. Let love guide humanity. Let love guide humanity. That's it. And just, you know, find your mantra and pour it in. Like grace, I'm. I just let grace use me as a channel. I am channeling grace in this moment. Just let me channel grace to humanity.
0: Okay. Now, you know, Carolyn, in this conversation, I was particularly moved when you were talking about the mystical shift that you went through and this kind of living, breathing awareness that you now have, that you're always in light, in grace. It was powerful to me hearing you talk about that. And in doing some research for this conversation, uh, I found this quote that you reference from... Teresa of Avila, who I know you have a special relationship with as a type of saint that is particularly important to you. And here's the quote, if God gets into the walls of your soul for just a second, that's enough for a lifetime. And I read that and I thought, gosh, you know, really in some ways underneath maybe everything I've done, it sounds true for the last 35 years, I've been wanting to introduce people to that experience just for a second, just for a second here in this conversation with you, just for a second. So what I want your help with is for people who say, you know, I don't know, right at this moment, God getting into the walls of my soul for just a second. I'm not having that experience, that person says. What can you do to help them? Well, I,
1: you know, of course, you and I have encountered that experience. They are those kinds of people all the time. The fact that they would say that tells me they want it and that they fear it. And what they fear is that they're, they want to control the nature of God in their life and the presence of God in their life, that they're holy control freaks. And they they want to make sure God doesn't take their bank account or that God doesn't send them off to a monastery and Curse them with celibacy or something. But it tells me that they have shadow faith, which means they believe so much that they are terrified. So I tell them, well, then what I suggest to you is because you want it so badly and you haven't had any contact, that you say, I surrender to you, Lord. I surrender. Reach me any way you can. And none of them have been able has been able to say that prayer. None of them. Because that's how deeply they actually do believe. And that's how deeply God really is in the walls of their soul. And so all you want to do is say to them, say the prayer. Just say, I surrender to you. Reach me any way you can. And they'll recognize they can't say that prayer because that's how deeply God is in them. And they simply want to control that power. And that's the truth.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. The last topic here with holy language that I want to make sure we touch on is a big topic, holy language and healing. Mm -hmm. And you've spent a lot of time and writing and teaching, educating people about the ways we don't heal. And it's been, I think, very illuminating and helpful. How can holy language help us in the process of how we do heal? Um, first of all,
1: language is a, is part of the backbone of healing. Mm. And I, language is, is your tool. Language is your, your tool of co-creation. It's, it's, it's How do you co-create if you don't have language? You have, to, you have to formulate, articulate, visualize, explain, explore the experiences, describe the experiences you have. And the only tool you have is language. And the only tool you have is, is the word. What word? Tell me what you're experiencing. To talk to me, pick your language. So you could say this is a disaster or you could say this is curious or you could say this is wondrous. And with every word you whatever word you pick, you are entering the universe of that experience, aren't you? So what I realized was that when people talk, they first of all, they create this reality. And so many people live in the polarity of pain or pleasure, right or wrong, good or bad. And if they're in pain, then everything is horrible. So We don't have time to go into all of that right now. But suffice to say, the power of language, I realized, had so much to do with how the path they took to healing And if they lived in angry language and they repeatedly told me what was wrong with a very limited vocabulary, this was awful, a vocabulary that traveled backwards in their life, kept telling me the same stories, kept going backwards, was a historic, it had no power and it carried no grace. That in order to heal, they needed a vocabulary that had the capacity to bring in insight, to bring in transformation, to bring in grace. And they had to, and the opening word was forgiveness. That's a holy word. That is a word of transformation. You're going from one state of being unto another. You are going to forgive someone. And from that, your life will transform. And from that, you're going to experience faith and hope in a very different way. Whether or not you know it, you will. And then you need to experience faith differently. And someone could say to me, I have no faith. Well, probably not. But You're going to start with faith in yourself. You're going to tell yourself that you're going to do something. And you're going to keep that commitment to yourself. You're going to walk one block a day. And no matter what, like William James, you will suffer not one exception. You will walk a block a day. And you will build faith in yourself. And eventually, what will happen? is you'll start to trust that you will keep your word. And eventually, when you start hearing gut gut responses in yourself, you'll start having faith that you actually are having intuitive guidance. It'll be small. It might say something like, don't eat that. That's not good for you. It'll be organic at first. It'll be physical at first. But you'll have enough faith in that that you'll trust it. It'll take a while to build this. But you're on your way. You're on your way. You have to earn this. You have to earn it. That's why the spiritual path is called a path and it's something you walk and you earn. And that's how it happens.
0: Okay, Carolyn, I want to end our conversation with being in the space of holy language together with our listeners. And I wonder if you have a, a copy of Intimate Conversations with Thank the Divine you. near you. And if perhaps there's a passage you might want to read that you think would be a good and fitting end to our conversation. Maybe you can give us the context of uh, if it's a prayer the context in which you wrote it.
1: What if I read the, um, the grace on the last prayer, which I think is pretty, okay? Beautiful. You know, the grace of love is powerful stuff. You keep in mind that love is a grace that is meant to be shared. You can't run out of love, so share it. Waste it. Pour it out in thoughts, words, and actions. Think love. Speak love. Become love. Breathe in this grace 24-7. The grace of love is pure bliss. It doesn't have a downside, Lord. That grace only inspires us and makes us want to do the impossible for people we love. No wonder we associate you with love. We turn to you when we need the impossible to happen in our lives. Love seems to be the way to reach you, the phone line you answer most directly. When we combine love with faith, we get right through to you. I cannot ask for the grace of love without being willing to share that grace, and I know that. But I've also learned that this is a grace that won't stay put in a person's heart. It longs to be shared, and it has your imprint on it, the wonder of it all.
0: I've been speaking with Carolyn Mace with Sounds True. She's created a new audio learning program. It's called The Power of Holy Language to Change Your Life. She has also recently released the new book, Intimate Conversations with the Divine, Prayer, Guidance and Grace. I always love being with you, Carolyn. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pure delight. Thank you for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at soundstrue.com forward slash podcast. And if you're interested, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And also, if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I love getting your feedback, being in connection with you, and learning how we can continue to evolve and improve our program. Working together, I believe, we can create a kinder and wiser world. SoundsTrue.com. Waking up the world.